Hey guys, welcome back to the Nutrition Expedition. Before today's episode, we just wanted to say, we're not qualified specialists. If you have any issues, see a healthcare professional. The daily posts, including recipes, exercises, nutrition facts, and calorie comparisons, follow us on Instagram at The Nutrition Expedition. Peace. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Nutrition Expedition. Today is episode 28. I'm Lachlan Kalan. I'm joined as always by Matteo Vella. Hey I'll, guys. I'll let Matteo introduce today's guest. Yeah, so very privileged today to have uh, an ex-rugby league uh, player, legend, played four seasons for the Dragons. He's coached over 400 games uh, for Bradford, Bradford in the Super League. He coached Raiders, Panthers and the Warriors in the NRL, as well as the US in the internationals. He is the current founder of the Change Room Programme. We'd like to welcome Matthew Elliott to the podcast today. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for time. You can call me Matt, mate. Matt. And, uh, <laughs> Very formal. I thought I'd make it more formal. Of that legend word around, mate, but I'll take it. <laughs> Absolutely. So, Matt, start off, just wanted to say, I wanted to ask how you actually got into rugby league. How did I get into rugby league? I think rugby league got into me. Mm. Well, okay, that'd be the that'd be the truth. I was, look, I was born on Thursday Island up in the Torres Straits, but I grew up in Townsville and um, I was really fortunate. I grew up in an area where there was about, I don't know, about 15 or 20 boys were like one year either side of my own age and we had a spare allotment and that's how it all happened. But my dad was my footy coach too, so I think I played under eights at five and I, I just, I love the game, mate. I love the game because of the competition it provided, but I think I even love it more because of the, the friendships and the community around the sport as well. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's been, I wish I could repay it. I'll, I'll be in debt for a, about 17 lifetimes, I reckon. Yeah. yeah. And uh, obviously you had to deal with a lot of injuries uh, in your career and, and unfortunately it cut your career a bit short. We like to focus a lot on mental health as well as nutrition on this podcast. And how did that, injury sort of affect your your you don't know your mentality and and how did it you know affect everything to do with your life really at that point that's that's a really good question Matteo. i'd have to say like to be completely genuine even though i was heartbroken about not being able to play footy anymore um and you know i, I was i've been so fortunate in life as i got a i was a, a director in community services and local government at the time we got promoted a bit quick, quickly to that level. I don't mm. may have had something to do because I was a footballer, maybe, I don't know, but I got an opportunity to coach straight away. So even though I couldn't play, I was immediately back in that environment where you know that you know that that tribe of, of people that were like-minded and so while I I pined, I don't think my mental health was impacted by that. My my mental health issues came probably later in life when I was coaching. It had nothing to do with rugby league, but we'll have to whisper this because I'm a old Australian male. <laughs> I got heartbroken. I lo- Yeah, so I, I had a relationship breakdown. Yeah. We're not allowed to admit that, you know, they were heartbroken, but that's, that's probably when, as far as my biggest challenges, I wouldn't say mental health, emotionally, hmm. I felt numb. Yeah. So when you feel numb in one thing, you try and numb sadness, you numb them all. So I couldn't, while I didn't feel sad, I couldn't really feel elated or enthusiastic or inspired. Yeah. I just walked around in a numb state. Mm. Ted yeah. Schooners can help that as well. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so obviously you went from, we'll go more into the mentality side a bit later, but I just want to ask because you obviously went from your footy career straight into coaching. How did that transition happen and what made you want to get into coaching? I got hit in the bum with a rainbow. To be honest with you, Lockie. Um, as I say, I had, a, I had a director's role in local government, and um, I was really well rewarded for that. Because in those days, we we worked and played. Mm. You know, that, that was semi-professional, and it was just a fantastic time to play. But Brian Smith offered me a job, and at first I said, "Oh no, mate, no, I got a job, and I'm signed for next year. Um, I, I'm going to play." And my doctor came to me and said, mate, your knees aren't going to let you play. So 
either rip into your local government job or take the coaching job. So I didn't really overthink it, to be honest with you. I, I just believed that that's what I was going to end up doing. So I, I took the coaching job. Yeah. And, and obviously that's, you know, that's, that's crazy to think how, how far sports in general has come since then, you know. A lot of players are unable to, uh, you know, have a full income from the sport. They have to have two jobs to really support themselves. And now people are making, you know, tons of money. You know, it's really great to see the sport evolve that much over the years. Um, I, yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's quite impressive to see that, you know. It's just clubs are, uh, you know, much more established and much more willing to pay the money, you know, uh, as the TV deals and all that stuff comes in. So um, I think that's the reason as, as to why... Um, you know the pay is growing for the players and just to, to move on to the coaching side as what you were saying before we know that obviously we know in all the sports any manager or coach of a, of a team gets ripped into in the media front pages a lot of the times if their team's not going well obviously a lot of stresses as a coach what were one of the ma- what were some of the main stresses that you had as a coach and, and how did you manage to overcome those or not I don't want to be obstructive, but people's perception that head coaching is a stressful job, they're they're off with the pixies. (laughs) I used to go to work every day with 30 to 40 young men that wanted to get better. Hmm. Who does that? Who Who gets the opportunity to do that? I worked with other coaches that wanted to help people get better. That's the environment that you're in in the NRL. So... Look, it's a, it's, people get stress and pressure mixed up. Pressure, definitely, because there's high expectations, there's a lot of scrutiny, and the consequences are massive, okay? I get that. So it, it, there is pressure. But what in life have you achieved of significance or anyone achieved of significance without the pressure on? Hmm. You don't get an opportunity to do amazing things without pressure. So, look... There's a whole, I, I used to get the shits with the media, okay, when I was a young coach. But then someone really wise, and I've been so lucky in life to have great mentors, and if I, you know, I was gonna make a suggestion to any of the young people watching this show, is find a mentor that you respect, that you can just sit and ask questions of once a month. Um, they'll love it, and you'll learn a lot. But someone, you know, a mentor of mine, really made me un- understand that, look, the media, the media people that are asking these awful questions that are getting on your goat, that's how they feed their kids. Mm. That's what they're doing for an employment. Yeah. That's their job. So it reframed everything. So I just stopped being defensive with them and started having fun. Do they actually understand and know what's going on in the environment? No. No, they don't. They pretend they do and they sit there and they pretend they're experts, just like I do now. Mm. You know, I work <laughs> in the media now yeah. and I'm six years out of coaching. I have an insight but do I really know what's going on anymore? The game is advancing so quickly. Approaches are advancing so quickly. Don't tell anyone, I don't have a clue. So, but you know, but it's how I eat. It's Mm. how I actually pay my mortgage. So if people get the poos with me because of questions I ask, well, that's not my problem, that's theirs. Yeah, exactly. And I looked at it the other way around. Yeah, and um, I think, the best way to think why people think a coaching job stressful, you look at Craig Bellamy in the, the box blowing <laughs> up at a decision. So, like, I think that's so funny. I've, I've thrown the mic, mate. I know what it's <laughs> like. Do you know why he does that? Because no. I know Craig pretty well. Do you know why he does that? No idea. Because he cares. Yeah. He cares about his team. Yeah, yeah. And when you're in the coaching box, you just complete your goal. You, don't, you wouldn't have a clue if there's anyone else around. Mm. And all you want is to somehow make a difference to the guys that are on the field. So if you met Craig, Craig doesn't walk around training blowing up. Craig, you know, he's not like that. Um, He's created a culture there that the players monitor themselves. Yeah, occasionally, you know, you've got to to empty the garbage bin occasionally. Mm -hmm. But that's not the way he is. He just cares so much about the way his team's going. And, you know, once you reframe it that way, Imagine if he just sat there the whole time going, oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh gee, guy dropped the ball. <laughs> what about, <laughs> yeah. imagine that. Yeah. Hey? 
Um, he wouldn't be the greatest coach of all time, would he? Yeah, exactly. And Je- um, Jeff Tuvey's the other one. <laughs> I love his reaction to the box as well. It's hilarious. I actually remember when I was little, obviously, I remember what uh, seeing you as a coach when I was little and when I, when I found out when we, when we made the decision to have you on, I remember I was searching some photos up of you just to refresh my memory of what you looked like and it instantly hit me. I'm like, I remember that guy being so angry during matches. I don't know why it was the first thing I remember. I was like, I remember when I was little that that coach was just nuts. But maybe, you know, maybe it's just my bad memory, but, you know, that's what I remember. Don't push me. I'm coming for you. Don't worry. It's still there, mate. I try and push my buttons. On... Uh, further on coaching, I just wanted to ask, like, what was the career high, the highest from your coaching? Like, what were the best moments? Uh, look, a lot of the best moments are like any team sport. They're at training, you know. It's, you know, it's, so I've had some really special moments where you know players have come and and thanked me for the impact they've had on their life, not on what's happened on the footy field, and that that's really special. You know, I won a Challenge Cup and I won a, a Super League competition in England and. You know, walking around the field with my four daughters hanging off me everywhere. That, you know, that they're kind of moments because you get to share them. But it's hard to really pinpoint one. Hard mm. to pinpoint one. There's, there's so many special moments. But I guess it's those those one-on-one moments that you have with players. Yeah, absolutely. And just just to tag on another another impromptu question that I'm going to chuck at you right now. What what was you know obviously the US is not a very rugby oriented sort of country, more NFL, more basketball, baseball, those sort of major, uh, major sports that they've already developed over there. But what was the culture like when you went over to the US and coached that team? What was, what was the difference between Australia and, and the US in that, in those sort of, um, in that, in, in the sport that's, of rugby? That is, that's a great question. And it's really, it blew me away. Because yeah. the coach in the US society has a completely different status to the coach in Australian society. Yeah. Coaches are up there with doctors in America. So the first training session I had, a guy called David New, who played for um, St. George, and actually now lives in Philly and has tried to get you know, a place for rugby league in America. And hopefully with the coverage that it's getting over there at the mm-hmm. moment on free-to-air networks, it'll help us do that because yeah. there's a real marketplace there. Yeah. But anyway, I digress. The first session, I called all the players in and they all came over and took a knee in front of me. I was like, oh, hey, what the hell's going on? Stand up. You don't have to. But the level of respect for coaching there is really not like what we experience. And the players are so coachable. You know, they're, they're compliance to, to what, you know, what the coach instructs them to do is most of the time 100%. Yeah, it, it was quite astonishing to actually experience that. Mm, that's awesome. Yeah, and uh, basically the main reason we wanted to get you on today is all around mentality. And even though we're a nutrition podcast, we find that we talk about holistic health as our main aim. So obviously there's fitness, there's nutrition, and there's mental health. And I think the forefront of the change room program is mental health. So I just want to ask what is the change room program. Do you want to give a brief overview to the listeners? Brief overview, okay. Look, I think first of all, it's a holistic approach and it's based on high performance, but high performance is a bullshit word. Mm. So, you know, if it works for an athlete, guess what? It works for you. And guess what? I'm not talking to the person sitting beside you. I'm talking to you. (laughs) It works for everyone. Is what high performance athletes do is, is that, they're at the forefront because they have to be. So that, that they have to be at the cutting edge of performance. Otherwise, if you're using stuff that's a performance process from 10 years ago, guess what? You lose. But it's the holistic athletes, the athletes who take a, a holistic mental, physical and emotional approach to the way that they prepare themselves that creates well-being. There's no performance without well-being. Hmm. None. You can't do that. Well, not over a sustained period. You know, some guys can get themselves physically and mentally in a state, but if emotionally they're not there, eventually they break down. You know, some of the greatest female athletes in the world emotionally are in the right place and physically, but mentally they can get broken down. So what we do at the change room is take a high performance approach around what we call eight foundations. 
from what you do most frequently and the biggest drivers of your behaviour to what you should do least frequently. So again, you're in a feeling state 24-7. Even when you're asleep or even when you're in general anaesthetic, you're in an emotional state. Okay, and that's the biggest driver of your behaviours. I always use the Coca-Cola ad as an example. Coke doesn't tell you, drink this and there's seven spoonfuls of sugar, there's a heap of caffeine, it'll make you burp, it's kind of brown and black. Doesn't do that, right? Mm. You just know if you skull a can of Coke, the best thing's gonna, of your life's gonna happen in the next, next seven seconds. <laughs> Don't you? Yeah. You're gonna meet the girl of your dreams, the guy of your dreams, you're gonna jump out of an airplane, I'll be okay. honest, Coke does a great way of marketing that when they have those little water drops coming off the, the cans and it looks fresh, I'm like, man, it's nothing more I'd like than a Coke right now. So yeah, they do a good job. That's not, that's not tapping into your thinking. That's tap, tapping into your feeling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the biggest part of everybody. You know, politicians know how to do it. They don't give us information. They just tell us if you vote for her, you're going to lose Medicare. Vote for him and your business is stuffed. Yeah. So we do emotional then you have about 60 to 80,000 thoughts a day. That's a lot of thinking, right? Not encountering too many people that underthink these days. So, and what happens with a lot of people is, is that their thinking controls them, they don't control their thinking. Hmm. So how do you get in charge of your thinking? So we give people not knowledge, not just knowledge, we give them tools in how to feel better, how to think better. And then you do 24,000 breaths a day. Breathing is the biggest natural impactor, biggest natural impactor on your state. Stop breathing and you'll find out. Hmm. But equally, if you if you hyperventilate for two minutes, you're gonna get lightheaded, right? Yeah. Hmm. You've got no choice. So if you breathe deeply and diaphragmically for two minutes, you've got no choice but to move from a state of stress to a state of calm. No choice. Because people don't tell us that. Okay? The next thing you do most frequently is he just scrolls through his head as you should be sleeping six to eight hours a day. You know, six for people that have high quality sleep, eight hours for most of us. Sleep is the glue. Hmm. Sleep is where our healing and restoration peaks. Sleep, sleep is a very, very important process that's overlooked. But now we sleep less. Yeah, exactly. We do this, we're looking at these things, we're looking at phones, you know, we have lights on. So so if you're if you're not having time to restore, how you what when and the cleaners come in, have we got better equipment to clean with now? Are our cleaners inside us better, you know, got a better idea how to do it? No. We're not giving ourselves the opportunity to heal. So if you're not healing, you're not sleeping well, your well being's impacted, your performance is impacted. Hmm. Easy, right? Exactly. The next thing I'm sure Anthony Minicello would have covered with this is movement. Mm. Movement and exercise aren't the same. Movement is about stimulating your lymphatic system. That's what our circuitry system is there, the lymphatic system where your immune system's located, which drives healing. The next thing that we should do most often and something that really impacts our internal state is exercise. Unfortunately, exercise has got the preconceived ideas and stereotypes around exercise are so bad mm. you know, people think they need to have a rig you know and, mm. and abs and all that sort of stuff exercise is about each and every one of us as individuals loading to our capacities and then recovering you know that so all our ca capacities are different right and our physical and our physical abilities are different some of us are better off endurance some have greater strength you know some some definitely have greater speed. So all these things are, we all have different strengths. So it's understanding who you are and how you want to be and then loading to your capacity and equally taking the right amount of time to recover. And people don't, a lot of people don't understand the balance between those two things and how important it is for both of those to be restored on a, on a consistent basis. Mm. And the last thing that we should do well, the last thing we should do as far as frequency goes is eat. And people, diet, nutrition, my goodness. Imagine if you Googled that now, how many pages would come up on that? Yeah. Obviously, uh, obviously you, our you, podcast would come up first. Um, yeah. Oh, of course. Yeah. But, you know, you got the opportunity. Anthony Minicello 
changed my life. Mm. I had an autoimmune disease and mm. I was injecting myself with a steroid twice a day. And I was going to have it for the rest of my life. That's what I was told. So Anthony's way of eating, again, not nutrition, but way of eating, which was at that time based on a um, research done by a dentist in the early 1900s called Western A. Price. And if you look up the Western A. Price Foundation, it's still around and it's still valid. And uh, that way of eating, I no longer have an autoimmune disease. Wow. Within six wow. weeks, I was off all medication. I, don't worry, it's not. It was, I'm not. I'm not an anomaly. Mm. No. I've seen Anthony reverse probably over 30 cases of type two diabetes mm. just by changing the way people eat. Um, pretty astonishing stuff, eh? Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, that's really interesting to hear. That you know, that's that's incredible. The power of having a good nutrition nutritional base in your in your you know diet is just so so important and can and that's what Anthony was talking about is the ability of food to be able to heal people and heal their problems is is incredible so it's really interesting to hear that that, that works so well for you and now just move on uh, before we move on I just want to ask a few questions I've got the... one more thing for you guys I only got through seven of them you don't know <laughs> you want to hear the eight yeah give us the last one go for it the eighth is exactly what you're doing there right now between the two of you. The eighth is human connection. Mm-hmm. Right. And um, they've done, you should look this up, they've done studies around the world in the areas called blue zones. And blue zones are parts, geographical parts of the planet, there's seven of them, I think, where it's the highest concentration of people over 100. And they work, they try to work out what was the biggest common denominator in their longevity? Certainly all the stuff that I just discussed with you, eat, they eat well, they exercise. A lot of their exercise was incidental. They never stopped working. They always had a purpose in their life. You know, they lived in an area that was a lot of steep hills. They ate well, all that sort of stuff. But the biggest common denominator was human connection. Yeah. Having cross-generational meals. You, know, you Look, when you go to a place you know, like Cyprus or, you know, if you've ever been to places in, in South America, like Costa Rica, when they go, have, go to lunch, they don't go out there and stuff a sandwich in their mouth and run back to work. There's, everyone's out, all out together when they have dinners with families. And when you think about it, you go, makes sense. Mm. I feel, you know, it's not a matter of you talking the whole time like I am now. It's just a matter of being around people that you care about and having... Our relationships with people that nourish you. Yeah, I've done some research in um, the blue zones. I think it's it's so fascinating, and anyone that is interested in longevity, it's so good to read about, and it's really fascinating. Even if you're not into health or mental health in in particular, like it's a great topic. But there's a few things I just wanted to um, unpack from those eight points. Firstly, I want to talk about sleep and we're big drivers of getting enough sleep and what are some tips that you uh have for people not getting enough sleep in their lives well sleep is a routine first okay it's and it's not something you can try to do or i'm just oh, i want to go to sleep and it's like, it doesn't work that way right so the routines with sleeping start when you wake up in the morning and wherever possible Get outside and get the sun on your face because there's a thing called melatonin, right, which helps to sleep. So when you get sun on your face, you stop excreting melatonin straight away because it's daylight, mm. all right, which means it allows your body to build it because it's the thing that's going to put you to sleep in, you know, 12 hours' time or what, uh, however long. You know, get up and move. Get up and you know, give that lymphatic system. Get the gunk, that's a scientific word, get the gunk out of your system. Start moving. So start the process of, of, or the ritual of getting to sleep in the morning. And you're not focusing on getting to sleep, but how good does it feel when you get out and get the sun on your face? Yeah, yeah big time. Fiddler tells his players to do earth. Because mm. you know what happens when you earth? Everyone thinks that's woo-woo, right? No, no, it's science. We only get energy from one place, and it's the sun. And we take it in three ways. We take it in through direct sunlight, which goes in through our eyes as vitamin D and our skin. Then we eat frozen sun. That's what plants and other new um, animals are. They're frozen sun. That's what it's called. Not my word. Okay. Scientist's word. 
And the other way is we absorb it through the earth. Have a think about our ancestors. Do they walk around in shoes all day in mm. thongs? Yeah, no. No. They connected with the earth. That, again, start is the start of the process of learning to sleep. And then during the day, there's, a, again, there's things that we need to do. Eating properly will help you sleep. Reducing the amount of carbohydrates, refined carbohydrates, reducing the amount of junk, okay, food that we have in our body, pharmaceuticals and chemicals that are all in the in the food that we eat. Don't eat stuff out of a packet is what I would say. That's probably the easiest thing, or vegetable oils. Hmm. But then when we start to get to sleep, remember we talked about breathing? Yeah. Remember how we talked about if you breathe properly, you're going to move from a state of stress to a state of calm, and you don't have any choice. Yeah. If you learn to breathe diaphragmically, low than high, and you can do that over a sustained period, you're going to relax. And that's what you've got to do before you go to sleep. Not this. Yeah, yeah, big time. Okay, good. Because that what blue light's going yeah. into your eyes, your brain can't tell the difference between blue light from there and the sun. So it says, okay, no melatonin yet because we're outside, still, still daytime. So it's about relaxing and starting to calm down when you get... And if you, if you want to use your phone or you want to be on your computer or watch TV till late at night, get a pair of blue blocker glasses. Hmm. Look like Bono out of U2. <laughs> Great point. And the other thing I wanted to say, uh, something I've found really fascinating is the journey's better than, um, better than result. And I think uh, the best example of this is Tyson Fury, who was the heavyweight boxer of the world. And then it was a champ and then his life crashed because he had no purpose. So what do you think about that in general? And people, even though people think that successful people ha are always happy and they're never having down periods, whereas in reality, everyone has these down periods. Yeah, you, you're, you're just throwing the ball right into the area of my, my hot zone, mate. This is what I really talk about. So sometimes it can be a little bit of a deep dude Locking, but I feel like you, you've got this covered. Uh, can I talk about our internal chemistry and answering that? Go for it. Okay. So everything you think, everything you do, and everything you feel sends a signal internally. Okay. So if I put my hand on my shoulder, there's a neural signal. There's one going up to my brain, right? Okay. And in my brain, there'll be an interpretation of that signal. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. And my interpretation of someone putting their hand on my shoulder, okay, this is one This is one order in which it works, will then create a hormonal response. I'll go, mate, get your hand off my shoulder. I don't want your hand on my shoulder. So that fires up my amygdala, that sends a message down to my adrenal glands and cortisol and adrenaline and noradrenaline start squirting through my body. Make sense? Yep. Or it could be, oh, that feels lovely. <laughs> that feels so nice. And up it goes to my brain, and my hypothalamus goes, let's, yeah, let's shoot some oxytocin out there. Let's shoot some serotonin out there. So this internal pharmacy that we have going, we know is the biggest cause of death and disease on the planet. Mm. Don't worry about coronavirus. Don't worry about all these other things. It's called stress, right? Yeah. And stress creates internal pressure. So, and it manifests in people in different ways in health. It can be cancer, it can be heart disease, it can be autoimmune disease. The signal that we're sending ourselves is the biggest impactor on, so I'm gonna to get to your point, Lockie, on on death and disease in the planet. Yeah. That's amazing, eh? Yeah, it's crazy. That, that is crazy. It used to be the biggest impact on that signal used to be infection and trauma. Don't worry, the coronavirus is not even near the podium as far as comparing it to, to what the signal is we're sending to ourselves. Yeah. So you're with me so far? Yeah, yeah, all with you. Okay, so let's talk about purpose. That's what I wanted to get to. When you have a sense of purpose, you've experienced this, you both have. Yeah. So has everyone listening. When you see it, feel it, when you have a sense of purpose, how do you feel? Tell me how you feel. Amazing. Yeah, you feel like so you have something to, to look forward to, almost excited. So let me ask you this. Where in your body do you feel that sensation? Where? Have a think about it. When you feel inspired, 
or have purpose? Where in your body do you feel it? Remember when you did it. Oh. Where did you feel it in your body? I, personally, I feel it in my chest. Show me. Point yeah. to it for me. I, I, I feel, feel it in my in chest. chest. In my chest. I'd say my chest or my stomach. Just losing your match. Pardon? I think we, we just cut it out there. So, did you did you feel tingling at all? Yeah, absolutely. So that, what you just did then, you, no one else, I'll tell you what you did. You just excreted oxytocin mm. into your body. Oxytocin is our cardiovascular hormone. It's our bonding hormone. And every time you excrete oxytocin, every artery and vein in your body dilates and you feel tingling. Yeah. You just did that. When you smile at my funny jokes, because I'm fucking hilarious, let's be <laughs> honest, okay? You just then in that moment excreted serotonin. Yeah. Guess what? The signal is not only the biggest cause of death and disease in the planet, it's also the biggest cause of well-being. Who has the biggest impact on that signal? Yourself. Yourself. Absolutely. You don't have the only impact because I could get you to stand outside in front of a car and you'd find there's sometimes that, but you have the biggest. Yeah. And we're not taking control of that. What we're doing is we have a system at the moment that tells us that, or we go and say, we're not well, we're not feeling good. And we have a system at the moment goes, here, take this tablet and treat the symptom. Okay, what you're talking about around nutrition impacts the signal. But what you're talking around, more importantly, around purpose impacts its signal. So if you can have a, if you can choose to have a life of purpose, sometimes that's tough, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Sometimes it's really difficult to feel inspired, right? Mm. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, yeah fair enough. Yeah, exactly. Well, tell me what in life of significance is easy? Nothing. Very Nothing. Yeah. So getting fit piece of piss, right? Just sit on the lounge and get fit. <laughs> yeah, it all takes No, time it's time. easier to sit on the lounge than it is to get fit. Mm. It's easier, it's easier to sit and watch Netflix is then to go and learn. Yeah? Mm. Well, same with this. It's easier not to have purpose. It's not easier not to be inspired. It's easier not to feel love yeah. than it is to do that. What are you going to choose? Because you have the biggest control of it. Now, that all sounds lovely, but I want to come back to that internal pharmacy. When you feel that way consistently, you are elevating your healing in your body. You're elevating your physical and mental capacities. You're elevating your brain function because of the hormones that you're excreting. You're improving your digestive system. Your liver will operate and function at a higher level because of the way that you're choosing to signal yourself and what's happening in, with your internal pharmacy. How amazing is that? Mm, you know how much crazy. it costs? To do that? Zero dollars. But let's go and take a tablet instead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's what Lockie and I, you know, we, we we very much, you know, are on the side of natural ways to heal your body and stuff like that rather than taking supplements. So what you've just said then, I think for anyone listening is a very big uh, signal and very big um, way to improve your health is just, you know, trying to feel better and trying to look for the better things in life to, to really do it. Don't do try, it. Do, do it. it. Do it, exactly. Yeah. It's, it's weird. Emotions are weird, all right? They're different. So to get fit requires effort, right? Mm. Yep, exactly. And to build mental capacity to learn takes commitment. To develop the emotions that we're talking about, the ones of inspiration and enthusiasm and love and happiness, takes allowing. But you've got to work on it. You got to allow them because you already got them. You got them all. Put your hands up if you've never had the shits. Put your hands up if you've never been angry. These are all helpful emotions. They aren't unhelpful, but they're not meant to hang around. Yeah. Okay. You've got them all. So why not allow yourself? Why not allow yourself to do the ones? that fires up that signal that gets your internal pharmacy going that allows, how good does it feel when you're, when you're in that state? You're not going to feel that way all the time. Just like getting super fit, you're going to have to experience fatigue, right? 
to get super fit. You just don't want to be fatigued all the time. You're going to have to experience being overwhelmed if you're going to become, you know, a, a PhD in quantum physics. Exactly. It's going to be overwhelming. Mm. But you don't get that same thing. You're going to have to experience the emotions that load us. They're not, none of them are bad. None of them. You just, but you experience them. You know, people get told you're depressed. No, you're not. You're experiencing depression. Mm. And you okay. might be stuck there. You're experiencing anxiety and you might be stuck there. Okay, but that is not your name. Yeah, exactly. Your name's not changed. Yeah. But you can also experience, and the more, you ex the more you experience going to the gym and working on it, the more you start to experience being strong. I love that, honestly. And I think that like, it's so important how you say that. And a, a big analogy I love is Someone's, I've heard someone say, if you have an easy road and a hard road, the easy road never gets you the result you want. The hard road's always the way you're gonna get it. And sitting sitting around and not making whatever you're, um, whatever you're trying to achieve happen is never gonna get you where you wanna go. So I think the way you've summed it up is really good. And I just wanted to go on to now, on more on the injury front, how you um, base the format of injuries in your course and how you help people mentally through that? Yeah, it's a really good question. And we have people, we have a, well, I would have to say close to 90% of the people we have have psych injuries. But of that 90, but half the people that attend have physical injuries as well. And it's really interesting. Guess what? The formula is the same. And I just went through them is, is that you need to use tools to elevate your well-being. Okay, in all those different eight areas, you need it. You don't need to do all eight. You need to find the breaking area that resonates most with you. Because guess what? If I eat better, I'll probably have better mental clarity, right? Yeah, big time. Better mental clarity, I probably feel better. If I feel better, I'm probably more likely to sleep better. And if I sleep better, I, and on it goes, right? Yeah. yeah. You need to find, you know, what your best breaking points are. And injuries, your body wants to heal. Our bodies are amazing. Like, honestly, but how are you giving your body the opportunity to heal by using those breaking points? Are you, because well, look, if you're going around going, I just want to, I want to get better, I want to heal, I want to heal, and you're eating shit, and you're eating you know, vegetable oils, and you're not sleeping, and you're, you know, you're, you're not choosing to, to try and, impact that signal in a, in a positive way you're not going to heal yeah you, you've got to give your body the opportunity and you've got to find your way of doing that mm. and ultimately it, it you can go make the decision that you want to do it but you've got to do the work everything requires work yeah. doesn't mean that's hard it just means that you need to do the work other you can't expect to get the result knowledge is overrated massively massively overrated people know not to smoke right hmm. no one lights up a bunger and goes this is good for me they know it's bad for their health yeah my knowledge is overrated it's what you do with what you know was where the power is so yeah. smart people look, i go i go i've been to doctors and they're obese yeah <laughs> work that out sense. yeah so it's not what you know yeah. It's what you do. Yeah, and, and obviously that's very important. Uh, what you're saying is incre incredibly important and Lockie and I 100% agree. So obviously for you having such a big background in rugby league and such a big, you know, career coaching some of the best athletes, you know, in Australia, what are some uh, some tips that you have for any athletes listening or anyone that's that's trying to be an athlete listening for mental preparation. So leading up to the game, the day before, the day of, obviously a lot of people, we've had Lockie's brother on the podcast and he talks about the day, the whole day before and the morning of his games, he doesn't want to eat any food. He feels so nervous that he doesn't want to eat anything and it can really impact your performance if you don't eat anything at all. You know, you can be completely off your game, like you said, like with sleep as well. If you don't sleep well, um, that could be an effect of you not eating well as well. So. What are some uh, tips for mental preparation for not not only for sports, 
but also for anyone, you know, going to a nine to five job? Well, uh, what I do know about, and I've, I do, I've had the opportunity to work, you know, in the surfing world with world champions and, and in rugby league and with other athletes and also with high level executives. Yeah. And there's one common denominator going into performance. They have routines and the routine doesn't start on the day. So again, routine is about you firstly. So there might be some people that don't sleep well. There's some people that don't eat well. So you've got to understand yourself first. So being self-aware is where, the, where this routine starts. If you don't know, if you're not aware of how you are, you, you no chance. Like I'm in Wollongong. If I want to get to Newcastle, well, I've got to know I'm in Wollongong, right? Otherwise, I'll be just driving around. Yeah. Make sense? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But that's so you've got to be self-aware. Then you've got to develop routines. All right, and let's just use the three things: mental, physical, and emotional routines. That, because what you don't want to do is let's take the thinking side of things, the mentality that you said. Well, going into a performance, you don't want to overthink it, mm. and you don't want to underthink it. Exactly. But you want to be able to go, okay, I'm going to set time aside. Say, say it's two days out, and th these are my times where I'm really going to focus on nothing else but my performance and what you get to the end of it it might be a 10 to 15 minute period and you go have i got everything covered did i get it right and if you can say yes you can go okay i know i'm going to revisit that tonight i'm going to park it instead of walking around this is i wish someone told me this when i was a footy player because i'm game day i just walked around and go don't talk to me i'm just gonna i can't wait to play like i'm, I'm focused i'm gonna play so i get to the game i'd be rooted hmm. it's just Absolutely exhausted. Yeah. So routines in remember loading and recovering. Yeah. Loading. So you do that mentally. You have a routine, and I like routines that go longer. That all of the best athletes I saw they don't they don't develop a routine on the day. Their routine starts well it starts straight after the last performance actually. But what's your mental routine so that you allow yourself to switch off. So you allow yourself to enjoy other things in life. That balance is essential, but you don't have balance if you don't have a routine. That's what I believe. Hmm. I'll give you my phraseology on a tip. Then what's your physical routine? Now, when are you going to stretch? When are you going to you know, get your body moving? Do that movement stuff so your lymphatic system's working. When are you going to do whatever it is that you need to do to get yourself ready to go into, into all performance? What's your routine? Then emotionally, how do you need to feel when you're playing? How do you need to feel when you're competing? Well, you can't just have that feeling when you show up to compete. Otherwise, it'll manifest in, oh, I can't really generate that feeling, so you end up getting anxious. So you've got to practice that feeling routinely because you can't walk around in a peak emotional state all the time either. Otherwise, you'll be exhausted. Yeah. Interesting. yeah. So, so you've got it. So these are what I call smack behaviors. Don't get it wrong. Smack being you need a system to train. You're systematic, methodical. So when I go to the gym, I don't walk in there and go, okay, today I'm going to do it. Uh, oh, I'll just jump on the bike. Now you don't do that. You go in there and you have a system of training and you do it methodically. I'm going to, I'm going to do my lower body today and some stretching, I'm gonna do four sets of 10 with this amount of rest. That's methodically, yeah. Systematic, methodical. And I can't do it once a week, I've gotta do it consistently, right? Hmm. So you need to have smack behaviors as far as routines going into performance and you need to have them coming out of performance in those three areas, mental, physical, and emotional. Because hmm. remember this, the emotional bit we never get told about that. We never get taught about it. But this is why I had to make up my own system around it. It's our biggest driver of behaviours. But we don't get taught about it. Yes, man. We don't get taught about build capacities. Yeah. We just we just get told how not to feel. Yeah, that's so true. And a few episodes ago, we did an episode on training versus exercise, and we explained how exercise is not really using that methodical mindset, whereas training is consistently having a regular program knowing what you're doing being structured and that's how you're gonna get the best results so 
I think what you were just saying there is so interesting. But now I just wanted to go on to um, stress more. But I know you had a live webinar for free coming up, which unfortunately this will be out after that. So maybe in future you might have another one. So if anyone wanted to get involved in that, definitely make sure you're checking it out and we'll talk about where they can find you at the end. But I just want to talk about, you mentioned how there's constructive versus chronic stress. Do you want to just talk a bit about that? Well, well, again, do you know what exercise does? It stresses your body. Yeah. Mm. And so again, what you need to do, but if there's a thing called overtraining, right? Yeah. So it's just, again, remember those three areas, mental, physical, and emotional? It's the same thing. It's the same thing across all areas. Yeah. Got a bit dark. Yeah, it's good. Dark. I'm getting scared. No, no, we're good, we're good. So, yeah, again, stress is good for us. Learning new things, how stressful is it? How stressful is it when you when, when you went for your L-planes? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right? So, learning stresses us. And there's certain stresses emotionally as well. It's not bad. It's only bad if you stay there. So remember we talked about load and recover. Our body's either in an anabolic state or a catabolic state. We're never in a static state. We're either building or breaking down. Both are good for us. Both are good for us. Yeah. Jeez, what's going on in that dark right <laughs> now? No, for people um, listening, we're having a bit of uh, light difficulties, but we'll, we'll continue on. Um, so that's yeah. very interesting. You're talking about constructive or chronic stress, not you know, not emotionally, but more physical on the physical side. Yeah, but even even emotional even emotionally, stress. Yeah, yeah. It's good for us. Yeah, exactly. Just not over a sustained yeah. period. Yeah, yeah. What do you think excitement is? Yeah. Excitement. True. The feeling of excitement is encountering fear. There's no excitement without fear. Yeah. Think about. It. If you weren't scared of jumping out of a plane, how could it? How could it be one bit exciting? Yeah. Yeah, exactly right. If you weren't, there wasn't. If there wasn't some fear associated with playing footy or cricket or whatever, if there was, there's, there's no excitement. This goes with all emotions. We're dualistic creatures, hot and cold. All that sort of. Whoever designed us has got a pretty warped sense of humour, but you can't have one without the other. Yeah. We know what fast is because we know what slow is. So I was going to ask. Um, Obviously, this isn't a very trivial topic, but I'd like to call this question more of a trivial question. What are some of the worst injuries you've seen as a coach? You know, you know, the physical injuries I'm talking about, and how did they overcome it? And what mentality do they possess to be able to overcome it? So, most impressive, almost the, the the worst injuries. First question, and the second question: What are the worst injuries that people have been been able to overcome successfully, and what was their mentality towards that? Um, well, one was a player I played with, a mm. guy called Mick Potter, who won, uh, I know you probably know him through the coach of West Tigers and stuff like that, but he yeah. won two Dally M's, so you know. Yeah. But I played with Mick one day and he had a compound fracture of his ankle, which was not nice to see. Yeah. No so I mean. his pain was sticking out of his sock. But he came back to win a Dally M. Yeah. So I think Anthony Minicello's story about his spine, when you see the x-rays of his spine and now how he recovered was was pretty amazing look and i could go on and on around that yeah i would have to say all those recoveries we go back to what we talked about those all those people and individuals what they did mick fanning okay who i worked with for a decade before he became a world champion he tore his hamstring off his hip at chow poo when he got absolutely nailed came back, you know, and won three world titles. So they all have one thing in common. They allowed their body to heal. They gave their body every opportunity to heal. Certainly they had surgeries. Certainly, you know, modern medicine's amazing. But what we know about modern medicine is it's not good with chronic stuff. So look, if I cut my arm, I'm not gonna meditate and hope that it heals. I'm going to the doctor, I'm going to get it stitched up. Yeah, exactly. But, but what we do know with chronic stuff, like stress and like the, 
the way that that's manifested, that that modern medicine's not really doing a good job with it. Yeah, that's so true. And lastly, the last question we ask all our listeners, uh, all our guests, sorry, and I think we always find it fascinating what the answer is. We just want to ask, what's one tip for listeners to improve their overall health in any way? Wow, good question. Good question. You know what? Here we go. I'm going to go back to that signal. Be kind to yourself. Hmm. We are so, so, and I'm actually reminding myself of this. You know, we wake up, and I say it's easy to have the shits, and, you know, oh, God, I've got to do this today, I've got to do this, and our mind immediately goes to the challenges we have. You know what? If you want to, again, we talked about healing here, all that sort of stuff, is so often where it's okay to have high expectations of yourself because that's the only way you're going to achieve special things. It's okay to work hard, but it's also equally okay to be kind to yourself. Hmm. There you go. That's I pulled that one. out of my backside, guys. No, love that's that. a good That's a good one. And I, I love that question because... Obviously, it's after a long extended chat with someone and, and it's interesting to see the angle people take on it. You know, most people get out and say, you know, get out and move. Uh, Minnie was talking about getting rid of all the, you know, canola sprays and, and all those sprays in your house that, you know, people use to, to bake. Um, That's being kind to yourself, by the yeah, way. exactly. And then you, yours is, is, you know, being kind to yourself in many different ways, whether it's, you know, eating emotionally physically all those ways so that's really that's really amazing to, to hear that um that answer so yeah i think we'll wrap it up for today yeah. and thanks uh so much from uh to matt for coming on today we we love to give some time at the end for our for our guests to, to uh, give a plug as to where people can find them and just also if you'd like to give a, an overview of what courses you offer in in the change room uh currently for anyone interested to get involved and where can they find it so we are the at the change room uh, dot info. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where you'll find us. So, yeah. and look, we've got an online course that's being launched very soon. So that'll allow individuals access to it. Uh, we, we work very much in the workers' compensation space with injured people, but we also do a lot of stuff, preventive work in the, in the corporate area and wanting to get back into schools as well. But very soon, if you come to our website, we've got free webinars that um, complimentary webinars, I've got to say, that we run monthly um, with people like Anthony Minicello and Dr. Ali Walker and Nam Baldwin and a whole lot of amazing um, mentors that we have, Mark Hughes as well. We have a really great list of people that contribute to the program. But, we, yeah, as you say, if you go to thechangeroom.info, um, we have um, an online course that you'll be able to subscribe to as an individual or a group or a business and it'll give you access to the great knowledge of people like Anthony Minicello, a guy called Nick Beveridge, who's an Australian uh, Paralympian, outstanding mm. individual, Mark Hughes, and on, on the on the list goes. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, thanks again, Matt, and we'll make sure to leave all your links in the description, so if anyone wants to check you out, they can do that there. So we'll see you guys again next week. Thanks. See you guys.